0: Welcome to Digital Learning, hosted by the Wake County Public School System. You can follow us on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, and Google. To access our show notes, visit our website at dlc.wcpss.net. There, You'll find your local area digital learning coordinators, whom you can reach out and contact. You'll find our monthly newsletter, our podcast episodes, and other valuable resources. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Christopher Zirkle. I'm a digital learning coordinator for the Southern and Southeastern areas. And we got an exciting podcast today where to continue our discussion on live instruction. Our goal is to provide teachers with practical activities and best practices that can be used during live instruction.
1: Hi, I'm Ginger Fields. I'm from the Title I department in Wake County Public Schools. And
2: a large part of my role is working alongside teachers. Hi, I'm Jenny Conrad. I'm a digital learning coordinator for the central services area. And hi, my
3: name is Katie Haywood, and I am also a Digital Learning Coordinator serving the Western area. And as Chris mentioned, today we're going to continue our look at live um, or synchronous instruction in a virtual environment. Uh, Last week, uh, Melanie and Laura were on talking about what that looked like. Um, And one of the biggest points that they made uh, was that live instruction is a versatile thing, that it doesn't always have to be a face-to-face Google Meet with with students, uh, with you know uh, you know thirty minutes of direct instruction, that students working towards the same learning goal at the same time can be considered live instruction if they're doing that you know in a collaborative environment or they're working on an activity. Um, so Ginger and Jenny, what does this mean for teachers and how they might structure an overall lesson? If we back up and look at a larger chunk of time, um, what, what does this mean for teachers?
1: Well, when I think about um, what worked in face-to-face instruction, we had, um, I'm just going to speak for ELA right now because that's really kind of my wheelhouse, and I think about EL curriculum in grades 2 through 5 and letterland curriculum in grades K and 1. I think it means when you have 50 minutes in this virtual time, we're not going to talk at children for 50 minutes. So how can we go over our learning targets and set the course for what we're doing today, create some new learning at the beginning, and then take maybe 30 minutes of that 50 minutes and give kids um, collaborative work to do where they're not in the meet with the teacher. And I'm meeting with small groups of instruct kids to do some instruction. Um, meeting my standards and my targets. The other kids are still working on that, but they're doing it either individually or they might be doing it collaboratively through a Padlet or a Google Slide, interactive slide. Um, I just feel like that that's what's best for kids. And they could be offline, not in a Google Meet, not on the internet, doing some reading and responding and then coming back and sharing those responses i would think you would always want to end together all together too just to bring it all together how about you jenny
2: yeah i think that's a great point ginger and i think as a district we have such great resources whether it be el or our or um, any of the other resources that are available for teachers planning looks a little bit different right now you know you're looking at the lesson through a bit of a different lens a lens of what would be best for me to do as a whole group, what might be best to do in a small group situation, Um, what types of things, where might technology fit in where we're using a different product like a Flipgrid or something like that. Um, So considering the lesson through the lens of how might I divide it up in order to best use my time, continue to engage my students um, in different ways throughout the lesson. And to also hit those learning goals, you know, hit those targets that are set out by all of the wonderful resources we have. You know, we, depending on which grade level you work in, there might be slides provided for you. Um, but we all know that you can't just take the slides and use them universally. You have to take and tailor them to meet your specific students' needs and see which parts would be best to do um, live or Have them also do some asynchronous work around things like that.
0: We had two models that were mentioned in our PD courses, and they were flipped instruction and station rotation. How might teachers use these models to structure their lessons in combination with some of the ideas from the previous episode, such as using tools like slides or Jamboard to do synchronous but not face to face activities?
1: So when I think about organizing and utilizing or a flipped classroom, I think the beginning point is just like it would be in what worked well in face-to-face. First of all, what do we want the kids to know and be able to do? So what are our standards? Um, what tools are we going to use? We did that before in face-to-face. What tools were most appropriate? Do we use the workbook or do we create um, something else or do we put some technology in there? And How are we going to organize it? I think we would start right there with that. So when I think about stations, um, I think you organize those. I love the idea of organizing stations in a slide deck. And you think about little kids, and like, oh my gosh, they're going to move all my stuff. Well, once you create your slide, take a picture of it and then use the picture so that they can only manipulate certain things on the slide. So I didn't know that. I learned that from a blog. It was a world a life changer for me. So I think about using it that way and flip, that's a great opportunity to get kids talking, and I'm using my air quotes, get them talking to each other when they're not side by side. I think those are great opportunities and let me speak from a family standpoint, as having a high schooler that's going through this virtually. It's a beautiful thing that if one o'clock doesn't work for us and I have to run off somewhere and I can't make sure he's not asleep or doing something ridiculous, that we can do it at 7 o'clock if it's flipped. And I think that's a beautiful thing we really also need to think about as teachers and families. We're mothers and fathers ourselves. Can we do it at 7 o'clock?
2: Ginger, another fun tip with locking things in the background is to go to um, View on Google Slides and then choose Master. Then, when Hmm. you do that, you can create things that stay in the background, and you can use that master slide so that some of that information gets almost stuck behind it. And then you can put some of the things you need them to manipulate on the top, so that they don't move all of your slides. That's a little bit
1: faster. (laughs) I learn something every time I sit with you guys. Um,
2: Another thing that you might consider if you're doing stations is. How might you get students to come back at a certain time? So if you're having station rotation, maybe setting a timer, maybe showing students how to set a timer. Um, Older students may be able to easily come back at a certain time. Um, But thinking about what that might look like if you're doing station rotation with younger students, I think would be important. Um, And when when you're thinking about flipped, You know, making sure either in either of these scenarios that students have access to all of the resources that they need. So if they're working in a small group on slides, have you shared that slide with students? And I think what you said about using Google Slides is a great is a great workaround because you can share that right through your LMS and then give everyone access to make edits when they're using that. Um, And the comment feature could help with that as well. So some workarounds for what could work. Jenny.
3: It's really, I love that you talked about um, helping kids, um, you know, figure out when to come back for their, their, their meetings or after their stations or whatever. So I've got two first graders, uh, my twin girls and um, you know, what is it? Hashtag Kinders We have set up Google calendar for them and they have figured out how to look for their notifications, their five minute notification that it's time for their next class or whatever. So it really is possible to use these tools with all ages and all grade levels and you know for us it it took a week you know for them to learn it but now they're they're
1: Google Calendar experts practically. Katie I agree I think little kids we don't we don't always give them the credit they're not afraid to mess up and they're like oh well and they try again and I think that mindset is what we as adults have to have too. If it doesn't work today I'll try it again tomorrow. I have certainly had to take that mindset.
0: Now today's Podcast episode is actually episode two of season two and I'm going to reference episode one Which was our first episode where Melanie and Laura talked about adapting collaborative protocols into virtual environments What types of strategies or structures that teachers used in a physical classroom could they consider adapting to a virtual one? Okay, I'm a protocol junkie.
1: I love them. I think that they were a game changer for me instructionally and we need them in a virtual environment just like we did in a face-to-face to to establish safe place for kids to share ideas to engage in in discussion and i think it's important for those quiet kids it creates a space that the kids who may not be checked or we may not believe or checked in to give them that space that they need. And kids, would rather talk to kids sometimes versus adults. I think that as a district, we came up with a help tool um, that I every time I open it up, there's 30 people in it, which excites me. But there's some other protocols like anchor charts. Anchor charts are a protocol. That's a great place that when you create them together, put them in a slide deck. Have it there for constant reference. Talk, 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 talks widely used when we were face to face. That's an easy one for Jamboard. It's almost like Jamboard was created for talk, talk, and it gives us the opportunity. And as the teachers, let's not worry about what's spelled right and what's grammatically correct. It's all about getting their ideas out there and getting them to talk to each other and and putting their little um, sticky note on the corner of someone else's sticky note and responding. And Padlet sorting slide deck's awesome for sorting. I'm just using that every chance I get with um, schools and using it in a slide deck and doing what Jenny said, like keeping that background where it's not movable and they're sorting. What is a PLT? What's not a PLT? You can use that in classrooms. Mm -hmm. Turn and talk. I saw the coolest thing. It was in the most simple slide deck you've ever seen. The teacher had the kids literally turn around in their chair for back to back, like back to back, face to face and turn and talk, whatever you wanna call it. They turned their back to the screen and then they all turned back around and she called on pairs. They knew who their pairs were. It'd be like, Okay, Katie and Chris, model for us what your turn and talk looks like virtually and then she would call on Jenny and Amanda and they did it. She only called on a couple, but it was it was so cool to see fourth grade kids standing up and turning around on the lives um the Google Meet. So all of those things are what we did face to face and they're using them now in whole group.
2: I love that idea, Ginger. Just even the physical movement of the turnaround, gather your thoughts, think about what you want to say. And, you know, the thing that I want to add to this is that virtual wait time is hard for me as an adult sometimes. And so I think about the wait time that we talk about in classrooms with kids, um, kids who may be English language learners, you know, need even more wait time. So think about how that might translate to this virtual space and some of the ways that you could think about giving people time to think and to gather their thoughts and then to speak. Um, On the example that you did where Flood the Chat, that's such a great example where, you know, Students all get their ideas together, but they don't hit enter until you say flood the chat, and then you know that gives them time to think and to come up with their own thoughts instead of just parroting what other people are saying. And then to be able to see them all at one time um, and giving giving people the wait time and the time to respond, I think it's super important.
1: I think flood the chat's a great equalizer too. Everybody knows that Chris is the kid in class who always comes up with the right answer. So whatever Chris types is what I'm going to type. And when you do flood the chat, everybody sees everybody's at the same time. So you really get a window into formatively, what do you know and what do you not know? And if you're wondering about
3: some of these protocols that um, Ginger and Jenny are talking about, we will definitely make sure we link those in the um, show notes. Uh, There's a wonderful document. Um, There's a couple documents, actually, uh, that are some adapted uh, EL protocols and other protocols on how to use those things that we did face-to-face, how to use those virtually. So we'll um, check out the show notes for those those strategies. So one of the things that we've been hearing and seeing a lot from teachers is just that they're overwhelmed right now with the amount of time it takes to create some of these presentations or slide decks or uh, translate lesson plans into these direct instruction slide decks to use with kids for a long session of live direct instruction. Um, What design shifts can teachers make to maximize their planning time and really get the most bang for their buck? Like how can they spend their time for really impactful instructional time and activities? I think the first
1: thing I would say is keep it simple. Don't cave to the pressure to cutesy everything up and have it um, edgy giant. where everything's perfect and all those gorgeous pictures and all the backgrounds. The most effective lesson I have sat in on very recently, it was a white slide deck and it had two different colors of fonts, but what was great about it, it had the visuals there for the kids, the words were color-coded. I finally realized about four slides in that the subjects were always red. The predicates were always blue. The adjectives were, um, she had some green adjectives in there. And it was very, very simple, but super effective and engaging. She spent her time on the activities, the engagement piece, the protocols, the what the kids were learning versus all the gorgeous backgrounds. And it was super effective. And it was a maybe a 12 minute lesson and then she did um, online conferring while kids were going out and working in an interactive slide deck and it was it was truly very effective but by all states and purposes it was very plain Jane and simple but the lesson itself was awesome so that would be my very first um, advice is to really focus in on the learning the teaching and the learning versus the aesthetic look of these in our these slide decks that's that's
2: my opinion i agree with that piece and i would also add you know just spending your time to make sure that students have access to what they need with the learning so making sure it's in your learning management system making sure that um that links are working correctly you know things that that trip up students when they're working either independently or um when they're working as a group or, you know, just making sure that things are, are ready for them and that it will go smoothly um, with the resources that you've provided to them.
1: And I would say if it doesn't go smoothly, well, we try again next time. I know I have a partner when I create something that's not in my folder. But I say, does everything work for you?
2: Absolutely. That's really I think that, yep, that's a good point to just, you know, try again tomorrow. Um, see what you did that time that may have worked or not worked. And I think this is an opportunity for teachers to be really reflective on what's working well and what's not working. And, you know, given the opportunity to make a change when needed to best meet your students' needs um, and figure out what's working for you.
1: Simple.
0: Just simple. Yeah, I saw a resource. They're called Sample Lesson Grids and basically it's a a document that walks through activities and resources that can be used during live Google Meet synchronous time, and then it moves into some activities that students engage in outside of the live meeting. These are gonna be provided in the show notes, so at least one sample. I would definitely recommend if you have a chance to, to get a, a glance at those, because I think it just put everything together, everything we talked about today, kind of really will help you visually see what a class session could look like from start to finish. And in conclusion, we're gonna kind of wrap up our show here. I just wanted to get your thoughts or ideas or input on some of the things that are in these uh, sample documents. For example, uh, the general launch has a check-in, goes over to expectations, procedures, and there's some samples in there for you to look at. And then it goes into at a time of opening review, looking at the lesson goals and objectives, and then it moves into a time for asynchronous work for students to engage in, and then they come back into synchronous work where maybe they work in small groups or whole groups. So I know we're kind of short on time, but just to kind of wrap things up, maybe some insights in reference to the the sample lesson grids.
1: Chris, my favorite part of that is that there was always an exit ticket to check and see, did I meet my goals instructionally? I did my teaching, now what was the learning like? Did it land? I really like that about it. I love the idea of a general launch, a review, and then there's time for the teacher to do small group work, which we all know is the magic sauce in education when you can get kids in smaller groups. So I think it's a great example, and there's so many different examples, right, that can work for folks.
2: And I agree with that, Ginger, and so many people in the courses have pointed back to really enjoying the organization of these types of things. So it might not be that this particular one works for you, but think about the organization of what it looks like and how it sort of bounces back and forth between a synchronous activity or an asynchronous activity that meets the learning goal for what you're trying to do.
3: And it really speaks to, Ginger, your point that you made earlier about coming back together as a group. You know, if you end with that five, 10 minutes of synchronous time together, a face-to-face, uh, um, you know, a, a thought gathering jamboard or something where kids have that time to reflect on what did we just talk about, what did we learn? Let's bring it home, let's bring it all together. Um, you know, that really is that kind of that powerful create those those neural connections for long-term learning. So if you have any questions or you want to talk about how you can implement some of the ideas that you've heard today or you want to talk through some ideas, you know, you've got your DLCs out there to help um, at dlc.wcpss.net. We are ready and willing to, to support you and uh, help you plan some awesome instructional activities.
1: I also, Katie, like to put a plug in that they're coordinating teachers for CORE, Title I, math science, and all of those people in combination and collaboration with DLCs, we're here. We're here to help support and walk alongside teachers and PLTs.
0: We have a variety of ways you can listen to our podcast episodes. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. And please Take time to visit our DLC website to access the show notes for this episode. That's located at dlc.wcpss.net, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Wake County Digital Learning. Feel free to share our show, visit our website, and stay tuned.